Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, well, hey, good morning. So good to have you with us uh, for church at home. Uh, I am your pastor of antiquity with gray hair, uh, Tim Biddle. And uh, thanks for that, Seth. Um, We'll take that up later. Uh, But it is gonna be a great morning. I'm excited to share the word with you today. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks entitled Reset, where we've been talking about establishing some non-negotiables in our faith at the beginning of this year. And I wanna start out by giving the definition that we've been giving every single week so that those of you who are joining us for the first time can catch up to speed. Um, The definition for the word reset, as we've seen it the last few weeks, is this, to set or to establish again or to start over, to set, establish again, or to start over. Um, After a year of chaos in 2020, how many grateful for a fresh start this year? Come on, how many grateful for a new opportunity to set some things in motion again? I think all of us could benefit from that definition to start over at the beginning of 2021. But I've given this disclaimer every single week and I will give it once again. I apologize if it bores those of you who've heard it for the last couple of weeks. But I think as we discuss this phrase reset, we need to remember that it is only necessary to reset if we don't set something in place to begin with. If reset means to set or to establish something, or excuse me, to uh, establish or to make something permanent again, then to set means to do it in the first place. And we have an opportunity as we step into this new year, an opportunity to truly set some things into motion that become non-negotiables so that at the beginning of 2022, we don't have to run this series back and go, oh, I gotta start over again and I gotta, I gotta set some things in motion again. No, we truly do have a window of opportunity right now. We've been through hell and high water in 2020. No, we have an opportunity to set some things in motion and say, this is a non-negotiable, this is how I'm going to walk from this day forward. And so we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, and we started out the series talking about true commitment and how true commitment requires abandoning every other option, eliminating the options and saying, I'm just looking forward and I'm running after Jesus. And then last week, we talked about holding our ground, getting our fight back, getting the challenger inside every single one of us, the aggressor stirred up. And we stated that if we're going to hold our ground this year and not be swayed and not be moved. We need to remember what we're fighting for. We need to remember who we're fighting with and we need to cling to our sword. We need to hold on to the word of God, declare it, speak it out and memorize it and get it in our hearts. Uh, Today, I want to continue on in this conversation, and I want to talk about a subject that I really do believe has the power to reset our spiritual lives, perhaps more so than many others. And before I tell you what that topic is, I want to ask a favor of you, and that is, as I tell you what we're going to talk about, I want you to cheer and clap uncontrollably as if this is the most exciting subject matter you could ever hear about, because it's one of the least exciting things for me to preach about. But I think we can still have some fun with it today, all right, ready? Today we're gonna be talking about fasting. Come on, clap it up on the chat. A fan favorite, fasting, not eating, yes! Yeah, we're gonna be talking about fasting and the power uh, uh, to reset through this spiritual discipline. So let me give you the ground rules for today. First, I'm gonna tell you what we're doing and then we'll get into why we're doing it and hopefully inspire you to jump in at some level. Here's the what. Um, Every year at the beginning of the year in January, 
We call our entire church to a seven-day fast. Uh, this is not mandatory. It's not like on the membership document. You, you don't eat for seven days or this is not your home church. Not that at all. Uh, this is an invitation. It is not an obligation. But it is a powerful seven days, and it has proven to be every single year, where we kind of recalibrate, we reset our spirits, and we begin to focus in on what God is calling us into this year. Uh, I do wanna invite every single person who calls this church home, even if, if you've only been here for a week, I wanna invite you to jump in at some level and join us on this corporate fast. Whether that means you, you fast a meal, you fast a couple of meals during that seven days, you fast a few days straight, maybe you fast the whole seven, do juice, whatever the Lord would call you to, I wanna ask you to pray, seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom, and then do what he asks you to do and jump in at some level with us because it is such a powerful time as a group of hundreds of people say, you know what, we're gonna see Jesus together. We're going to set aside every distraction and we're going to see what he has for us in 2021. It is so powerful. Um, if you've never fasted before uh, and you need a little bit more information before you agree to do something this crazy, um, on our website, tfh.church and on our app, uh, on the resource page, there is a guide to prayer and fasting and it will give you all the details, all the practicals about fasting, what, what a, a Daniel fast looks like or a juice fast or some of that, that kind of stuff. And you can kind of decide what one works best for you. Um, but it'll also give you some very practical application. For example, it will tell you that fasting means to not eat food. Just wanna clarify that, okay, for all the millennials in the room, because I've had this conversation before where they're like, oh, I'm fasting social media, I'm fasting some television, I'm fasting Netflix, and I'm like, well, unless you're eating a TV or a cell phone, it's not really fasting. So <laughs> fasting, thank you, fasting means not eating, and uh, again, you can work that one out with the Holy Spirit, but I do wanna invite you to jump in. We will be starting tomorrow, Monday, and we're gonna run it for seven days until we get to our pursuit walk on the Great Highway at 4 p.m. on the 31st. And then after that, we'll all go get pizza or something together and we'll eat to our heart's content and it's gonna be awesome. So join us in that if, if, if you're willing to. Uh, that is the what. So now let's get into the why. Why would we do something so crazy like not eat for seven days. That's a little bit nuts, especially to the people who are not churchgoers. So I think we can dive into this a little bit and get inspired by the why. Uh, as you go to the word of God and you read cover to cover, which I'm sure you do every single day, um, you find that this spiritual discipline, discipline of fasting is mentioned a number of times throughout scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament alike. This is a, a practice that both the Old Testament folks and yes, even the New Testament disciples uh, partook, partook in, that everybody fasted. And there's a number of different reasons that people fasted in scripture. Um, the, the primary reason, at least in terms of the number of times it's mentioned, is for repentance. Uh, when a nation did something, when an individual did something and they needed to repent for it, uh, they fasted as a sign of humbling themselves. Uh, the nation of Israel fasted when they went to civil war with Benjamin and they killed off a bunch of their brothers and uh, David fasted after he betrayed Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and uh, he was called out by the prophet Nathan and afterwards when God called him out, he decided to fast and humble himself and uh, Samuel called the nation of Israel to fast after they turned away towards Baal and they served false gods and they needed to repent and come back to the one true God. All throughout scripture, you'll see fasting for repentance. Uh, additionally, you'll see in scripture that often people fasted to mourn. Uh, when somebody passed away, it was not uncommon for the friends or the family members of that individual to fast from the time that they died until the time that they were buried uh, either in the ground or in a tomb, and so they fasted for mourning. But I think one of the most significant reasons people fasted in Scripture, as we see it, is because fasting was a means of preparation for something that God was about to do. 
Uh, you see this with Moses. He fasted for 40 days on Mount Sinai before God gave the Ten Commandments, and that was a complete change for the nation of Israel. Uh, you saw it with Daniel when he read that after 70 years in captivity, God was going to release the Israelites from Babylon and bring them freedom once again. So Daniel fasted for 21 days so that God would bring them into this new thing. Uh, Jesus himself, as he stepped into his ministry, one of the first things he did was he walked out into the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, and he was prepared to walk into all that God had for him for the next three years. Fasting for the purpose of preparation. And it is that one that I would like to spend all of our time together on today. That idea that fasting prepares us for something new. Um, if, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. And we're going to look in on a conversation today between John the Baptist's disciples and Jesus. And uh, this is a conversation about fasting. In fact, in my Bible, I think the, the title of it is A Discussion About Fasting. That's the little heading above here. And I mention that because it's important we remember as we go through this, this is in fact a discussion about fasting. A lot of pastors and preachers and teachers have taught on this particular uh, piece of scripture and they, they seem to have forgotten that it's about fasting. They've mentioned some other applications to it, but this really is a conversation about not eating food. And it's important that we understand that context as we go into this scripture. So here's what it says in Luke chapter five, verse 33. So one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. For the record, pause there for a moment. We are in that time right now. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And since the bridegroom has ascended to heaven and we're left here on earth awaiting for his second coming, we are called to fast. So Jesus speaks to a New Testament disciples fasting right here. Uh, and so then Jesus gave them this illustration. Again, what are we talking about? We're talking about fasting. Thank you, just making sure you're following along. J Jesus gave them this illustration. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Uh, now, I'm not going to ask by a show of hands how many of you have heard a, a sermon or an exhortation about that scripture, but if you've been a part of the body of Christ for any length of time, I'm assuming you've probably heard somebody talk about new wine or new wineskins. I'm also probably going to assume that when you hit, heard said person talk about wine or wineskins, they did not contextualize it around fasting. <laughs> Yet, again, this entire conversation is about fasting. So the question I wanna consider over the next couple of moments is what do wine and wineskins have to do with fasting? And to that end, I wanna offer you a title and then we'll pray and we'll get into this. I wanna title this chat today, How to Get Thicker Skin. How to Get Thicker Skin. Sounds like an infomercial, right? Are you easily offended? Do you get hurt when people comment on your social media? Call 877-777-7777 and we will send you the balm of Gilead and your skin will become thicker so that you are not so easily offended. Actually, that would be a really good thing for some people right now. People getting offended about everything. Anyway, moving on. All right, let's pray. <laughs> We're gonna get into the scriptures. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. And God, I thank you for this invitation to fast. We do see it as that, an invitation from you as we step into this new year. I thank you that there are new things that lie ahead of us. This year is not gonna be a repeat, a regurgitation of 2020. 
Lord, there are some great things that you have planned for 2021, for our lives individually, for our church, for our cities. Lord, you've got good things ahead of us. So I pray that as we go to your word today and we talk about this subject that honestly is ignored so much in the body of Christ, yet it is such a powerful weapon in the spirit. I pray that you would inspire us to lay hold of fasting so that we can step into what you have for us in 2021. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wanna give you a thesis that we're gonna operate by today as we start out. And if you're taking notes, write this down. But here's, here's what I wanna explore. Tomorrow's destination requires today's preparation. Tomorrow's destination requires today's preparation. If I decided today that I wanted to go to the snow tomorrow, there is some preparation required before I just get in my car and drive up to Tahoe, especially in the middle of the storms, uh, the storms that we're going through right now. First, I would need to check the weather to make sure that it wasn't gonna be blizzard or a storm. And if there was gonna be snow falling at the time of, uh, of my departure, I would need to make sure that I had some chains for my vehicle and I would need to prepare and put those things on to make sure that they still worked and they still fit my car. I would need to go through all of our snow clothes to make sure that uh, they weren't too small on my daughters and that the, they weren't ripped or they weren't missing and that we weren't gonna go to the snow and you know, freeze our tails off. There was a little bit of preparation that would be necessary for that destination. If I tried to go to the snow without preparing, I could end up in some bad shape. Uh, if, for example, you were going to move to a new home, which my wife and I are doing right now, uh, that destination requires some preparation, quite a bit of preparation, a lot of packing that's involved, and you need to change your address with the postal service, and you need to go on Amazon and make sure that your address is changed so that your daily packages don't show up to the wrong address, and you need to turn on your utilities and your internet service so that you don't show up at the new house without any water or electricity or internet service. There's a lot of preparation that goes into that new destination. T -t Tomorrow's destination requires today's preparation. It's even true in relationships. If you have a desire to get married tomorrow, well, first you probably need to be dating somebody, but if you have a desire to get married in the near future or this year, there's some preparation required. You got to get spiritually prepared before you try to take responsibility for another human in your home. You got to get physically prepared. You got to get financially prepared. Come on, somebody. Marriage ain't cheap. And you gotta learn how to say sorry a lot and how to, how to make amends with people. Like, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the destination of marriage. That's why we always advocate that people get premarital counseling before they get married because you don't just walk into marriage unprepared and expect to be successful. There is some preparation today for tomorrow's destination. And the same is true in the spirit. In the spirit, tomorrow's destination requires today's preparation. Uh, I shared this with our worship team last week uh, during our team meeting, and it applies in the same context as we're talking about today. But I, I asked them, I said, if you, if you were to read through the, the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, uh, and you were to look for all of God's promises, do you know that you would probably see most of God's promises are conditional? Most of God's promises follow this word pattern in scripture. If you, then I. If you do this, then I will do this. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Second Timothy 2:20. If you keep yourself pure, then I will use you as a noble vessel to do great things on this planet. If you do this, then I will do this. There are conditional promises listed all throughout scripture. What is that? That is a preparation required for a destination. 
Sadly, so many people never step into the destination. They never step into what tomorrow holds for them because they are unwilling to do the if you part in scripture. If you purify yourself, if you give, if you lay your life down for the cause of the gospel, if you seek first the kingdom, all of those ifs get left on the table and so we never get to walk into the fullness of what God has for tomorrow. And this is what Jesus is diving into a little bit here in Luke chapter five. And if you, then I, kind of a moment. As you look at the scripture, Jesus begins to enter into this conversation with John the Baptist's disciples surrounding fasting. And he, he uses this, this picture, this illustration that might be a little bit foreign to us, but would have been very clear to the hearers that were listening to Jesus that day. He begins to talk about wine and wineskins. And Jesus says, nobody in their right mind would take new wine and put it into an old wineskin because if they put that new wine into an old wineskin, the wineskin would, would burst and the wine would be spilled everywhere. Pay attention to those two things. We're gonna come back to those in just a moment. The, 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 there would be spilling of the wine and ruining of the skins. But then Jesus says this at the conclusion. He's like, new wine requires new wineskins. Now, what does that mean? I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that most of us don't drink our wine out of a wineskin. Anybody, anyone drink out of a wineskin? Yeah, yeah, probably not. So we need to contextualize this a bit. We need to understand what Jesus is talking about if we're gonna truly apply this principle to fasting. What is Jesus saying when he says new wine requires new wineskins? Well, if you were to go to Napa Valley today and you were to walk through a wine cave, you would probably see that most of the wine is stored in, uh, in wooden containers. It's in barrels. That's where wine ferments in our day and age. The winemaker would determine after crushing the grapes what kind of barrel he wants to use and what kind of toast he or she wants to use and then they would set that barrel aside and they would let the wine ferment in that barrel for a period of time until such a moment that they thought it was consumable and then they would bottle it and they would put it on the shelf. I don't know this from personal experience. I'm just assuming people have told me that's what happens at wineries. Of course, I'm a man of the cloth. I would never be found dead among the forbidden fruit of the vine. But I hear that's how wine is made these days. It's made in barrels. Not so in Jesus's day. Um, in Jesus's day, wine was made in some wineskins, in animal skins, if you will. And the wineskin usually looked something like this. A winemaker would, would crush the grapes and they would put that, the, that juice into one of these animal skins and they would allow the wine to ferment inside of this animal skin. And once they determined that the wine had fermented long enough, they would take this skin and they would pour the wine directly into their glasses and they would enjoy I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna drink wine here in front of the whole church. Somebody would get offended, they would leave the house, they're probably a big giver and we'd have no money left and it'd be terrible. <laughs> now, this is how they used to do it in Jesus' day. They, they would use the skin. Now, Jesus says that this is great for old wine, but usually during the fermentation process, unlike the barrels, the wineskin would begin to break down and it would begin to expand until it would compromise the integrity of this vessel. And if you're only gonna drink out of this vessel, that's not a very big deal. You could, you could get away with some thin skin. 
on your wineskin if all you were using it for was consumption. But if you wanted to do something new with your wineskin, if you wanted to pour new wine into an old wineskin, you had a problem on your hands because as you poured that new wine into an old wineskin and it began to ferment, that old wineskin would be incapable of containing all the new wine that you wanted to pour into it. It, it, it would leak. The, the vessel would be incapable of holding what the winemaker wanted to do. Are you following me? Jesus says, for this purpose, new wine actually requires a new wineskin. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Wine is what God wants to do. Skin is the vessel he wants to do it through. Wine is what God wants to do. Skin is the vessel he wants to do. What did Jesus say? He said, if somebody were to pour new wine into an old wineskin, it will waste the wine and it will ruin the skin. It would waste what I want to do and it would ruin the vessel that I want to do it through. Let me give you an example. I am a vessel for God's glory. I don't say that in arrogance. It's just what I am. <laughs> you are a vessel for God's glory. It's what you are. And what God wants to do through your life is like precious wine. It's something that he wants to pour into you so that he can use it for his glory. But if I became a compromised vessel, let's pretend for a moment that I was living in a moral lifestyle behind the scenes while I'm standing on stage and telling you to live in, in purity. Or I was living an improprietous life and I was stealing money from the church. I'm not doing any of these things, just to be clear. We've got overseers that check up on me and I'm, a, I'm not that dude, but this is all for illustrative purposes. If, if all of those things were happening behind the scenes, I might look for a while on the surface like I'm a decent vessel and I'm carrying something good that God wants to do. But as the pressure began to build on the inside because of the fermentation process of my spirit, eventually there would be a moment where I would be revealed for what I truly am. And the more God poured into me, suddenly the more I would begin to leak and it would become evident to everybody in this church that the wine God was pouring through me was being wasted and the vessel was being ruined. Look at any pastor who has fallen, and I don't mean to throw stones because everybody is human, but look at every pastor that has fallen. What happens to the flock? Everything that they've said has been invalidated. Every sermon they've ever preached is tossed out the window because of the compromise, because of the affair, because of the impropriety. And it isn't just the wine that's wasted, the, the sermons that have gone out from that individual. No, their life is destroyed in the process as well. The vessel is ruined and it is incapable of being used at that moment for the glory of God any longer. The wine is wasted and the vessel is ruined. And for this purpose, Jesus says that new wine requires a new vessel. You, you cannot be an old vessel and contain the kind of wine that he wants to use in your life or pour through your life. You must become a new vessel. Translation, as the sermon title suggests, you need some thicker skin. You need to become a new vessel. 
So, so how does one become a new vessel? Well, here's where I have to take a moment and I have to debunk some really bad theology that's been preached in the body of Christ. I don't know who preached this first, but whomever they are, they need to take responsibility for this and repent. Maybe you've heard this before. I've heard a number of preachers pontificate as they talk about this scripture that in Jesus's day, it was not uncommon for a tanner of hides to be, to, to, to be uh, using an old wineskin and attempting to make it new. They, they would take an old wineskin, they would drown it in water and leave it there to soak overnight and then they would take it out the next day and they would beat it with a rod to try to you know, get all of the, the, the improprieties out of it and then they would leave it out in the sun to bake and through this process of drowning and beating and baking, an old wineskin could become new again. It could be reused and they would uh, apply that analogy to our lives. You know, when you're walking through and becoming a new wineskin for God, you're going to drown in a storm and you're going to get beaten with a rod and you're going to bake in the sun, but it's for his glory and you're going to be a new wineskin, which sounds painful. <laughs> but can we go back to the scripture for a moment? Jesus did not say new wine requires a renewed wineskin. No, he didn't say an old wineskin becomes new and then you can use it. He said new wine requires a new wineskin. It's either new or it's not. If you were to go to a car dealership today and you were to purchase a brand new vehicle and go home only to find out that that dealer, they, they, they cleaned the thing up, they got it detailed, they rolled back the odometer to zero and it was actually a used car, you wouldn't go, you know what, it's not a big deal. I know it's been renewed and reconditioned, but it feels new and it looks kind of new and it smells new, so I'm just gonna accept this as a new vehicle. Absolutely not. You're gonna storm back into that dealership. Well, first you're gonna get on Yelp and give them zero, zero stars. And then you're gonna storm back into that dealership. You're gonna demand your money back or you're gonna demand a new car because that's what you paid for. Well, Jesus demands the same. Jesus demands that a new vessel be available for new wine. So again, if that's the case, how does a vessel become new? Well, here's the bad news. It's actually much more painful than drowning and beating and baking in the sun. I wish the other preachers had it right because that would actually be really a lot better <laughs> than what we're truly talking about here. How, how does a, a wineskin become new? One word, death. In order to get a new wineskin, an animal has to die so that you can use its skin to create a new wineskin. Something has to die. Now, I think this would be an appropriate time to remind all of us of our subject matter. What is Jesus and his disciples, what are they talking about in this scripture? They're talking about fasting, that's correct. So write this down. Fasting kills the old and prepares the new. Fasting kills the animal to prepare the skin for something new. Listen to me very carefully. You will not lay hold of what God has for your future if the stuff inside of you that needs to die is allowed to stay alive. There's some stuff that needs to die in you. There's some attitudes, there's some mindsets, there's probably some relationships, there's some arrogance, there's some pride, there's some offense. 
There's some stuff that needs to die inside of you if you are going to be the kind of vessel that is reserved for what God wants to do in this next season. Let me prophesy over you with my eyes open. God has good things for your life. He has good things for your future. He wants to use you to establish his kingdom here on earth. There is new authority. There is new anointing. There is new opportunity. There is new influence. God has some good things for your life. God has some good things for our church that we're gonna be stepping into in this season. There is new influence and there is new authority and there are new roots that are going to be planted down in the city that will not be shaken and there are thousands of people that are coming to know Jesus and people that will be healed and marriages that will be restored and lives that will be changed there's some good stuff but we cannot try to lay hold of what he has for tomorrow if this is what we look like today Tomorrow's destination is going to require the appropriate preparation. And the best way we can prepare our souls for what God wants to do is to engage in the death process of fasting so that everything that needs to die can be put to death and we can become the vessels, the new vessels for the new wine that God wants to pour out through us. New wine requires a new vessel. But that's a painful process. There's some stuff that has to die. And it is imperative that you understand this about fasting. It's imperative that you understand that what you're engaging in is a death process. Because when the pain comes, if you don't understand that, you will tap out too soon or you will never engage in the first place. I think sometimes we, we romanticize these spiritual disciplines and we think that they're gonna be these magical fairy tale kind of experiences only to be let down when we realize, no, this is in fact a discipline. This is difficult sometimes. Someone sets out at the beginning of the year, you're like, I'm gonna read the Bible this year, I'm gonna read cover to cover, it's gonna be great. And the vision you have in your mind is of some blonde girl sitting in this oversized tufted chair with a monogrammed cup of coffee as she sits next to her window and the sun comes in gleaning and glistening off of her face and there's an animal blanket over her lap and her Bible's opened on one knee and the journal's on the other and she just can't write fast enough because the revelation that's coming from God's word can't make its way onto the pages quickly enough and God is meeting with her and the Shekinah glory of Jesus is in her bedroom. And then you go through the Bible reading plan and it's 6 a.m. and it's dark outside and you're wearing a robe because you're freezing and you're reading Leviticus and you're like, yo, this is not all that magical. This is hard. People are like, I'm, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna be an intercessor this year. That's what I'm gonna do. And they see a vision of some guy standing atop Mount Davidson with the sun cresting over the cross as they look out over the city and they declare with arms open in Old English, Thou is Father, I pray unto thee that you would come and grant thine blessings unto thine city. And we beseech thee on behalf of those who do not yet know thee. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. And then all of a sudden you're in your bedroom and you're praying and it feels like you can't get past the sheetrock or you're in a heap on the floor in tears begging God for breakthrough and suddenly all the magic disappears. So permittest me to pop thine bubble of fasting for just a moment. Fasting sucks. It is hard. It feels like you're dying sometimes because something is dying. It feels like death because there's some stuff that needs to be put to death so that you can become the vessel that God can use in the next season. New wine, new vessel. I remember last year um, during our January fast, my now 10-year-old daughter, Ellie, 
who was nine at the time, decided that she wanted to participate in the all-church fast. And I don't say that to shame anybody, by the way. If, you know, you've never fasted before and you don't even intend on jumping on this one and hearing that a nine-year-old girl fasted and prayed and interceded for our city makes you feel guilty. That is not my intention. But perhaps it should make you feel guilty if a nine-year-old girl is willing to intercede for this church in the city and you're just gonna sit on your butt in the spirit. But I digress. Um, she decided she was gonna jump in and, and, and pray and fast with us. And she'd never fasted before. And so her mom and I, Robin and I, we, we warned her and we're like, hey, this is not fun. It's gonna be difficult. And you're probably gonna have you know, some tears and some attitude and it's, it's, it's not gonna be great. And she's like, no, I wanna do this. I'm like, okay. So she skips breakfast and she, uh, she was gonna do a 24 hour period. So she skips breakfast and she read her Bible a little bit longer and prayed a little bit longer. I'm so, she's sitting in the front row. I'm so proud of you, Ellie. You are a woman of God. You're seeking Jesus and fasting. I love you. So she skips, the, she skips breakfast and uh, then late morning, she's like, hey, I'm gonna make myself a smoothie. And uh, I said, okay, so she goes into the kitchen, she gets some fruit and the milk out and the ice out and uh, she puts it all inside the blender. And uh, I, we forgot to tell her that like, your brain doesn't quite work the same way when you're fasting, even if it's only a meal, you seem to forget some things sometimes, but she forgot to put the top on the blender and she was using the little tamper to push down all of the fruit in there. And because the top wasn't on, the tamper got caught inside the blade and it just <laughs> ground down all this plastic into her smoothie. And so she, the, the blender was ruined and we had to buy a new tamper for it. And so she didn't get to, to drink her smoothie. And I said, oh baby, it's okay. I'm gonna take you over to that juice shop in West Portal, we'll get your favorite smoothie there and you know, I'll, I'll get you taken care of. So we, we go over to this juice shop and uh, she orders her smoothie herself and she makes a point to tell him, I do not want the beet juice in the smoothie. I do not like the beets. And I'm with her, you are, I hate beets. So she orders it and we take the smoothies and we, we head out and three or four sips in, she's like, oh, they forgot to take the beets out. The beets are in here. And she's just disappointed and she's like, I don't know if I wanna drink this. And so she sets it aside and she's now skipped two meals. We get home. And uh, my wife received a text message from our friends who have daughters our daughter's age. And she said, hey, we're having a tea party at the house and we'd like to invite the girls over. We've got cupcakes and pastries and stuff and the girls can eat. And by the way, just be warned, when you decide to fast, that is when every one of your coworkers is gonna bring in donuts in the morning. And fasting temptation is real, right? Someone's gonna bring in burritos for lunch. It's just how it works, all right? So, so she gets invited to this tea party and we're like, hey baby, if you don't wanna go, you don't have to go. And she's like, no, I can do it, I can go. I can, I can, I can, I can have self-control, I won't eat the cupcakes, I'll just drink the tea. And so she goes over to the friend's house and uh, they sit down at the table and Ellie ends up leaving the table and she goes out to the window looking out over the front of the house, just kind of like almond eye, <laughs> staring out into the distance, you know, trying to pray and seek Jesus to avoid the temptation around the table. And, it just wasn't that enjoyable. Fasting is not that magical sometimes, guys. That's often what it feels like. For me, I definitely do not feel more spiritual when I fast. I feel more angry when I fast most of the time, irritable when I fast. Generally, the breakthrough does not come until after I've concluded fasting. But in the process of fasting, I understand that this discipline is putting some stuff to death so that I can contain what God wants to do in the next season. I'm becoming the vessel that he can use for some new wine. So let me ask you again, what needs to be put to death in your life? What is keeping you from becoming the kind of vessel that God can entrust great things to? What is keeping you from the next chapter? And as you identify those things, are you willing to embrace the painful process of fasting? the preparation so that you can get to the destination that God is calling you to. 
That's the invitation today. Embrace the pain. Let some stuff be put to death so that you can step into the new, the new season that God has for your life. Now, I'm gonna invite the band to come. We're gonna conclude. And as I do that, um, there's another aspect of this scripture that I wanna look into. In fact, I would be remiss if we did not because I think that the application we're about to discuss is perhaps more important than the one we just discussed. Uh, without this application, the second one doesn't really make any sense. Uh, Jesus, as he engages in conversation here with, Jesus, uh, with uh, John the Baptist's disciples about fasting, and they begin to go back and forth about why his disciples fast and, and Jesus' disciples do not, he, he's drawing yet another application that is central to the gospel that we must understand. Again, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. What Jesus is stating in this, this short little interaction is religious behavior doesn't make us right with God, but relationship with Jesus does. Religious behavior doesn't make you any more acceptable to God, any more loved by God. Relationship with Jesus is the only thing that can do that. See, the accusation that John's disciples are making of Jesus here is that Jesus' disciples are not doing what all the other religious people are doing. The religious people were used to uh, fasting not just once a year for Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement, but at this time, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were actually fasting twice a week on Mondays and on Thursdays. And this discipline in their minds made them more acceptable to God, more righteous before God than all of the other people who were not choosing to fast twice a week. And so Jesus takes it upon himself to debunk this religious arrogant mindset that somehow their actions made them more acceptable to God, more love to God, more righteous than other people, and shows them that a new covenant and a new way is being established once and for all that will throw religious activity out the window. He's showing them that religious activity doesn't make him right with God, but relationship does. Jesus says in the same way that new wine requires a new vessel, a new wineskin, I am making a new way for people to be made right with me. No longer is it based on their performance or their pedigree or how many religious activities they can engage in. It's based on one thing, whether or not they know me. He says, the reason my disciples aren't fasting is because they're with me. The reason they're not fasting the way you are, which is to earn God's approval and to show yourself to be righteous, the reason they're not doing that is because they don't need to do that to be made right with God. They just need to walk with me. And if they walk with me, that's all they need. That's relationship that makes them right with God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves, not of anything we bring to the table. No, this is a gift from God. Salvation is free. We do not earn it. There's nothing we do to deserve it. It's a free gift. Otherwise, we would have a reason to boast. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. No religious activity can make you more acceptable to God. You can't read enough Bible for God to love you more or pray enough prayers for God to love you more or fast enough meals to be more acceptable to God. Only one thing makes us right with God, relationship with Jesus. And it is imperative that we understand that as we get into this fast because we are not fasting for relationship with Jesus. We are fasting from relationship with Jesus. We already have the intimacy that we need. This is not to twist God's arm to get him to love us more, or to accept us more. No, this is an invitation 
for preparation to get to a destination that God is calling us to. But if you're watching today and you are far from Jesus and you're thinking in your mind, I'm gonna fast and this is how it's gonna work and I'm gonna get close to God. Listen, you don't have to do any of that to get close to Jesus. Right now, in one moment, you can simply invite him into your life, invite him into your heart. Romans 10, nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Not if you fast, not if you pray, not if you read, all of that is a byproduct of being in relationship with him relationship is initiated by simply saying, Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to be your disciple. In fact, that's how I want to conclude today. I want to invite anyone who would be watching today and say, hey, I'm far from God and fasting sounds really not fun, but before I do any of that, I just know I need to get some stuff right with Jesus. So can we bow our heads even where you're watching from today? And I wanna invite those of you who would say, I'm far from Jesus and I don't wanna stay at a distance any longer. I wanna invite you to pray a very simple prayer with me. Just right there, wherever you're sitting or listening from, just say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I give you my heart. I know I've been at a distance. I know I've, I've racked up some sins, but Lord, I thank you that you take me just as I am today, that you accept me even in my brokenness. Thank you that you gave your life on a cross for me. Today, I, I believe you are who you say you are. I accept you as my savior. And I ask that you would, you would help me to walk in your ways from this day forward, to be your disciple until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for everyone who prayed that prayer today? That is the best decision you will ever make on planet earth. And if you just prayed that prayer, um, at the Father's house here, we, we are so incredibly passionate about helping you take your next steps. We, we wanna make sure that you get started strong in this journey of faith. And so if you're watching from our live stream, there's a little button that's popping up right now. It says, raise my hand. If you would click that button, there's gonna be a, a form that's sent to you. Ask for a little bit of your information. We're not gonna haunt you and try to chase you down. We wanna get your information so we can do a couple things. Number one, so we can get a Bible to you if you need it this week. Number two, we wanna invite you into something called First 40. For the first 40 days of your journey, we've got people that wanna walk with you and teach you how to read the Bible, how to pray, what it looks like to be in Christian community, all of that stuff. But then number three, we wanna tell you about water baptism, the most important thing you can do directly after making a decision to follow Jesus. It's where that old version of you gets put to death and all those old mindsets, all those old habits, they, they go down underneath those waters and you come up out of the water a brand new creation. And yes, we are filming church right now and we're not in a building together, but we will still make sure that you get baptized, whether that's in an ocean or a bathtub or a cup of water or whatever, we will take care of it and make sure that you get baptized. Uh, if you're watching at a later time or listening at a later time uh, and you don't have that little button on the live stream, you can text TFHSF to 97,000. You'll get that same exact form. And again, we just wanna help you get started strong on the journey. Uh, for the rest of you, as we conclude, if you need prayer for anything, there's a prayer button popping up right now on the live stream. You can click on that. Or if it's after the fact, you can go to our website and click on the prayer and praise tab. We would love to pray with you or celebrate with you if God's doing some great things in your life. Otherwise, for the rest of us, thank you so much for coming. Say goodbye in the chat and we will see you next Sunday. Have a good one. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.